asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing achieving financial independence in the military with Doug Nordman. Yeah, Joel, our guest today, Doug Norman, he starts every morning by checking the surf forecast because he needs to see how he's going to spend the day. That's because he and his wife live on the island of Oahu, which is a surfer's paradise. I know that because I've only seen the pictures. I've not been there myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Years before that, though, he was enlisted in the military and had a career in the Navy as a submariner. And now he writes about money over at themilitaryguide.com. And that's the-military-guide. Through standard practices like budgeting and investing additional money from pay raises towards retirement, Doug has been able to become financially independent. We've never had a a member of the armed forces on the show before, so we're also excited to hear some of the unique money challenges and the advantages that members of the military experience. So, Doug, thanks so much for your service, and uh, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the support, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast. I like your uh, episode on fees are the worst. Oh, yeah. Um, Thanks, man. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, that was a fun one. And fees... Uh are the worst. <laughs> and Doug, by the way, every every episode, Matt and I, we drink a craft beer because it's something that we enjoy a whole lot. Today on the show, we're drinking a beer called Bodhi Zaffa by Georgetown Brewing Company. Thanks to our listener, Richard. He, he sent this one our way. It's a, kind of this intentional thing, Doug, where Matt and I are trying to kind of lead in the fact that we prioritize something which is craft beer. We And we decide, you know, we're going to dedicate some of our hard-earned money towards the things that we love and care about right here and now, while at the same time, trying to be thoughtful and save well and invest well for the future. So what's your kind of splurge? What's kind of your craft beer equivalent? Hey, you got to have priorities. And uh, my, my <laughs> beverage of choice is uh, Kona Coffee these days. Oh. But uh, as you know, nice. my uh, my beverage of choice is really surfing. <laughs> Well, if you can bottle up surfing, I guess like does coffee and surfing go well together? Do you like to like get up earlier in the mornings or do you like to to surf in the evening? I've always been an early riser. The uh, waves are cleaner and the wind is calmer right around dawn. That's how the word dawn patrol uh, got used to describe surfers and uh, the coffee after the surfing session. That's the best part. Nice. That sounds good. So is it better there in Hawaii uh, than it is kind of on the continental U.S.? Is it sort of like when you get Guinness in Ireland, it's supposed to be better? Well, you're, you're familiar with the difference between beer that's regular alcoholic beer and beer that's non-alcoholic beer, how there's a taste difference? Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
So we keep all the 100% Kona here on the islands for us, and we sell the uh, 10% Kona blend to you guys on the mainland because you can't <laughs> oh. tell the difference. <laughs> We're idiots. <laughs> just just read the label closely the next time you're shopping. You'll see the price difference. Okay. Yeah, I've been before, and yeah, the Kona coffee is definitely something to write home about. It's really good stuff. Hey, Doug, speaking of, of surfing, it, I mean, it sounds like now that you're financially independent, you know, you write a lot and then you surf a lot. How did you kind of get into surfing in the first place? Well, that was a total coincidence. Uh, when I was retiring from the military back in 2002, I got a lot of pushback from friends and from my chain of command. Everybody was sure that I'd be bored, I'd be lonely, uh, hmm. and the joke was, what are you going to do, surf all day? And uh, I was telling that joke at home to my family, and uh, my daughter and my wife looked at me and said, well, I don't know. And so uh, we took surfing lessons on the <laughs> very first day I retired in the 1st of June 2002, a little over 17 years ago. And we were hooked. Uh, my wife can take it or leave it, but my daughter, Carol, and I, we, we love it. She turned into a surf monster, and that's been our lifestyle ever since. Very, no way. That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> the first day of retirement, you kind of found your, your new hobby, your passion. So I'm surprised oh, yeah. that, that you were hooked, though, on day one, because the first day that I ever tried surfing, it was probably the most miserable attempt at anything <laughs> that I have ever done. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I'm impressed. Maybe it's a little bit easier on some real waves down there in Hawaii. Yeah, if you're if if you're willing to give it another try, uh, yeah, come on out and we'll we'll go out there. The surf temperature will be pretty nice and warm, and uh, we'll have two to four feet for you. And maybe it's the quality of the instruction that makes the difference. Ooh. Oh, that could be too. Uh, yeah, we need a pro like Doug helping us out. Yeah, I'm happy. There to was do that. nobody teaching me. I was just in Charleston, and somebody had a surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> just winging it. <laughs> yeah, they're just like give it a shot. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll I'll try. <laughs> well, Doug, you signed up to serve in the submarine force right out of college. So we're going we're gonna to kind of like go back into your early days here. Why is it that you decided to go in that specific direction to be in the Navy, but specifically to uh, be on a submarine? Well, the Navy was something that I looked at in high school. And I had a uh, older brother of my best friend who was a student at the Naval Academy. And boy, did he make that look good. Now, hmm. after I got to the Naval Academy, I realized the parts that looked the best were the parts where this uh, older brother was on leave. You know, he'd be at home. He'd be drinking beer at nine in the morning with a four day growth. <laughs> and that was the part of the Navy that I apparently got suckered into joining the rest of the Navy with. Once I graduated from college, one of the things you do at college is take tours of the Navy and learn all about the different branches of the military. And this happens at every uh, college where you get into uh, a military program. And you just want to meet every one of the communities in that branch of the military and learn what kind of things there are for you to do after you graduate. I, uh, I was very strongly attracted to the submarine force. I really enjoyed it. Part of that was because uh, they set it all up in front where we were on a submarine that started out in uh, New London, Connecticut, but went on down to the Bahamas. And we were on a test range down in the Bahamas where we were working with people that were going to be the commanding officers of their own submarines in a few months. And so we did everything that a submarine does. And we did it once for each one of those guys, 12 times. And so we saw everything submarines can do, and we got to do all of it ourselves by the time I got back to uh, college, I was hooked on that, and I just made that my goal is to join the submarine force after graduation. So what was the longest stretch you were ever on the submarine without like being on dry land? And, <laughs> and then what's it like living on a submarine for that period of time? Well, it's the ultimate cubicle. You're in a tiny enclosed <laughs> space with uh, fluorescent lighting and no windows. The uh, longest I was ever underway underwater was uh, a 90-day patrol that turned into a bonus 97 days total. Whoa, uh, wow. A submarine Holy that was going to come on station, had some problems, and couldn't make it to us, so we had to do an extra week to cover their stuff. Uh, that was the longest I've ever done. That was back in the mid-1980s, the uh, days of the height of the Cold War, the evil empire, the Reagan years. You might remember those politics and uh, the, the mutual assured destruction and the nuclear deterrence. Then after that, I uh, went to a second submarine for my second sea tour, uh, and that was a, a fast attack submarine, uh, Los Angeles class. We'd typically be underway for two to three weeks at a time in the local waters, or if we deployed, we'd go out to the Western Pacific and we'd be underway for 30 or 40 days, and most of that time would be underwater. You, you mentioned two to three weeks, but like the longest one being 90, but yep. are you saying that like you're like continuously gone from land in my mind i'm wondering how like what did y'all do about food and just i mean everything that you need 
on the submarine? Like, is it, do you start with all that? Like, what is that part of life like? You need to think a little bigger here. It's not just the food. Think about 97 days underway, underwater, and you can't just pop up and send a small boat into the nearest convenience store for some more toilet paper. Right. You have to take all of that with you before you leave. That's a good point. Yeah. Wait, so, yeah. so basically living on a submarine, not easy. And <laughs> it also translates to living kind of an austere lifestyle, I would say. Right. I mean, it's, it's something that most of us aren't used to. I would say that uh, submariners are the uh, ultimate American minimalists. And, you know, you, you've <laughs> crossed the line from frugality to deprivation right there. And even today, I mean, years after my last sea duty, uh, I can still reflect on what my lifestyle was like back in the submarine force. So mm. whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, whenever, you know, it's a little too hot or a little too cold or I don't have exactly the right kind of ice cubes that I want in my in my beverage, <laughs> I, I can think back to what it used to be like and, and realize that life really is very good. Yeah, minimalism so hot right now, but I don't think almost anybody that's talking about minimalism is down with the submarine style minimalism, like on a day to day basis. But like, how did living that difficult lifestyle really in in a submarine and kind of doing that for extended periods of time? How did you kind of bring that back and in, into your daily life? Like, did you were you able to kind of take some of those principles into post military service life? Oh, absolutely. And and this happens for just about every military service member. And it, it actually kind of moves over into the families, too, as well. But every military service member develops a, a sense of discipline, commitment, perseverance. And those are the kind of skills that are not necessarily easily developed in high school or after high school or in college. And so you develop that in the military. Uh, what that means is that you're able to come up with an idea and make a plan and carry it all the way through. I, being a nuclear submariner, had an engineering reputation uh, of being the kind of guy who would want to go back there and nerd out over data and logs and trends and analysis. And that translates pretty well to financial management and saving for financial independence. And so I got really used to uh, looking at situations and watching the data and taking data and analyzing it and, and using that to make a plan. Yeah. So it sounded like, I mean, that specifically helped you on your path of financial independence, not only being able to kind of crunch those numbers, but I'm guessing as well, just like, like you said, living minimally. Was that a challenge for you kind of coming back onto the mainland where, you know, where you're presented with the options of, oh, there's a lot more in my life that I can expand to fill. You know, it, it makes me think of the goldfish kind of filling the bowl. How much of that lifestyle were you able to maintain where you were able to keep that minimalism or was it an actual challenge for you? No, it wasn't, it wasn't a challenge for me, but for every personality that's in the military that lives that kind of a lifestyle, there's a stereotype where you come back from the submarine deployment or you come back from the desert or you come back from being overseas for a couple of years and you say, man, that was hard and I really deserve to do something better for myself and I'm going to go out and buy a pickup truck and a big house and a boat. Of course, that's a lifestyle expansion that is probably unsustainable. Uh, but when you live like that in the military, you can reflect back on the way your life used to be, and you can decide what your priorities are. And you get a lot of ch chances to think about your priorities when you're underway in a submarine for uh, a period of weeks to months, and you're sitting there on watch. And there's, there's exciting things to do in a submarine, but it turns out that most of the daily routine is just that routine, maybe a little boring, maybe not anything that different than what you would do in a normal career. And you have a chance to talk it over with your friends and your shipmates and decide what you're going to do when you get off the boat and get back on shore duty or get on some liberty. But again, it, it helps you focus on your priorities and you know what's important to you. After living those weeks, those months of deprivation on a submarine, you know what's important to you. And yeah, you could go out there and, and give yourself a big party because you worked hard and you deserve it. But on the other hand, you know exactly what's important to you and you figure out how to spend your money on the things that are valuable in your life without going overboard and without wasting your money. Yeah. And when it comes to like saving for that future financial independence, Doug, you've written about kind of some of the mistakes you made along the way too. In particular, <laughs> you, you talked about this uh, investment fund that you were in that had just incredibly high fees, like 2%. And Matt and I, we've talked about fees on the show before and a fee like 2% can cut your retirement uh, amount, the amount of money that you're going to have once you hit retirement almost in half, like, which is crazy to think about. But oh, yeah. what's, what's the lesson here that you were still able to achieve financial independence, even with those mistakes? Like, What other mistakes have you made? And then what lessons have you learned from those mistakes? Well, the, the first lesson we learned is that a high savings rate will overcome just about every other mistake. 
once once you track your expenses, once you figure out where the money is going, then you can just simply cut out the waste. Uh, many people confuse financial independence or the financial independence acronym FIRE, you know, financial independence, retire early. Many people mistake that with deprivation. You know, you're you're sacrificing, you're cutting your lifestyle down to the minimum, you're recycling your own toilet paper. And, and <laughs> Living that submarine not, lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't want to get into that. But no, that's, that's actually not what's going on when you're saving for financial independence. What you're doing is you're making sure you understand where your money's going, and then you're just cutting back on a waste. And when you cut out the waste, your savings rate rises. Now, if you think something is valuable to you and it's not waste, well, if it's valuable to you, that means you're willing to work those extra months or maybe even those extra years to afford that big pickup truck or that boat or whatever that material object is in your life. But when you're focusing on your expenses and cutting out the waste, your savings rate starts shooting up. And we started our investments in the 1980s and 1990s. And back then, it was normal to pay 2% or 3% sales charges, that was an upfront fee. And then we'd have expense ratios of 1% to 2% every year. That was also considered normal. <laughs> and and we were buying the uh, the index funds that had a reputation for having lower expenses. And so we were avoiding the 5% fees up front, and we were avoiding the 2 and 3% expense ratios because that just seemed nuts to us back in the 1980s. And, of course, today that's ludicrous. But we still, from that, just from tracking our expenses and cutting out the waste, we still managed to get a savings rate that was high enough to reach financial independence, and it took less than 20 years. Now, if I hadn't paid all those upfront fees and expenses, maybe I would have made FI with my spouse uh, in as little as 13 or 14 years. So that really does cut down on the time it takes you to reach financial independence when you don't have to pay those extra fees. Yeah, that makes me think just how fortunate we are that that Jack Bogle <laughs> like came yeah. into existence to create Vanguard. Absolutely, and just, yeah, and just the the domino effect that that created, uh, and what we're we're seeing that currently right right now the everybody uh, you know reducing all of the the commissions to to trade ETFs and stocks and just uh, it's it's become this bounty for consumers for free and cheap investing and that was something Doug that when you started yeah was unheard of basically didn't exist and you were you were kind of at a disadvantage at that point in time but like now not only do they exist but almost everybody knows about it it's headlines it's all over the place and and so that's that's kind of cool that's investing has become democratized in that way which is beautiful I love it it's a race to the bottom but on the other hand it's forcing the fund companies to really deliver value and uh, oh, yeah. information's out there for everybody if you want to pursue financial independence if you get tired of living paycheck to paycheck or if you're stressed out by a large load of debt well, the tools are out there and the techniques have been tested and, and they're real. They work. Yeah, that's the thing, right? There's no shortage of information that's out there for us. It's just whether or not we can put that information to use. Well, Doug, so, you know, we mentioned your website, The Military Guide. Uh, why is it that you, you started that website? Like, what was the uh, the motivation behind that? <laughs> well, when, when I retired back in 2002, I was enjoying life and I started doing what I was doing back then was spending time on internet forums, uh, talking about financial independence and, and other aspects of the retired life. And and I was on one forum, uh, it's called earlyretirement.org. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, I, this life seems pretty good. Am I missing anything? And uh, the rest of the people on the forum said, oh, no, no, when you reach financial independence, this is good. <laughs> and, and we went on and talked more about the details of that. But after a while, uh, we became aware of this this uh, strength of a high savings rate, cutting your expenses, and, and other things to reach financial independence. And if you join the military, you're compensated almost as well as the equivalent of your civilian career. Whatever your specialty is in the military, it's got some civilian job code equivalent. And, and to keep the retention up, the military has to pay uh, about the same amount of wages as you would earn out in the civilian world. And the advantage of being in the military, uh, not just serving your country and being part of something bigger than you, but the financial advantage is that your military pay is lightly taxed. You get a base salary that's taxable, but then you also collect a sizable amount of allowances that are untaxed. And you also have, well, when you're on active duty, you have free health care because, you know, the military wants to keep you fit to fight. But even families are paying very low fees for health care, and, and if you continue your military career, your health care is very inexpensive. 
So those advantages would, you think, lead to many more people being uh, financially independent after their time in the military, but uh, it doesn't seem to work out that way. And I think most veterans don't realize they can reach financial independence. Most service members are too busy with their, their careers to really be able to take the time to plan for their financial independence. And so we started talking about that question on earlyretirement.org. And after a while, we had a whole bunch of ideas. And uh, another guy on the forum was writing a book for civilians. And I said, gee, somebody should write a book for military. And mm-hmm. uh, the group turned around and looked at me and said, okay, well, let us know how you do. <laughs> and uh, challenge accepted. So, you know, I, I spent a long time writing the book. I actually crowdsourced it with the uh, military members of that forum. And we would write a chapter and talk about it. And I'd make it a little better. And we kept doing that for the time it took to create the whole text. And I sold that to the publisher in 2010, and then I realized I should start a blog in order to market the book. That's cool, man. Yeah, and I love I love how it was crowdsourced too. What a cool way for it to come about. And you started to get into kind of some of the the perks of military life, and we definitely want to get into that. We want to cover that. Uh, but right after the break, we actually want to talk about some of the unique problems that military service members face, and we'll get into that with Doug right after the break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs 
and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Joe, we are back from the break and we're talking with Doug Nordman from the Military Guide. And uh, like we talked about before the break, we're going to dive into now some of the unique problems that, that members of the military face due to honestly, the typical situations just from being in the service. So Doug, I've heard so many stories, you know, almost like you mentioned, as far as buying the truck, buying the boat, buying the house, but a lot, a lot of new soldiers sometimes will blow a lot of money on things like cars. Um, obviously, like <laughs> that, young that's kids. the hot one. Like that's yeah. the one that's well documented, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although now it's, it's probably less cars. It's more kind of like electronics. Like, that, that like could be iPhones, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, that's, that's the baseline. Everybody's got the iPhone and the latest gamer <laughs> box. Now you have to go out there and figure out what kind of uh, Tesla you're going to buy. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, the thing is, though, kids blowing money, like newfound money, that's not a new phenomenon. That's not really novel or unique to the military. So what other major money hurdles have you seen new enlistees facing? Well, most of it is getting out of debt, I'm afraid. Uh, Many people come to the military after college, so they're carrying student loan debt. Or maybe they've graduated uh, from high school or college, and they're out there working a civilian job. And for whatever reason, they're just not getting ahead. And so uh, sometimes it can seem like the military is the solution to all those issues. uh, And you're attracted by the idea of working with a team and traveling interesting places and being a part of something bigger than yourself. And and even that old-fashioned patriotism of, of serving your country. And, and you get paid for it. And so along the way, you realize that the health care and the pay and the benefits will give you a big leg up. And it does. It is true. Those, those things do do a great thing for your financial position. But you know, I, I tell people uh, not to join the military to get rich, just to join it for all those other uh, reasons that are non-financial and to stay only as long as you're feeling challenged and fulfilled. You know, take it take it one obligation at a time. Don't feel like you have to gut it out for that pension at 20 years. Just stay in the military as long as it's challenged and fulfilled. And that way you'll make sure that you're still having a good time and learning and not burning out. And then for new enlistees, Doug, do you have any recommendation? Like, let's say there's an enlistment bonus or something like that. How should how should a new enlistee handle kind of coming into potentially a, a situation of pay or bonus where they're completely unused to handling money like that? Well, speaking from personal experience, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I told my daughter. She also uh, got a college scholarship through ROTC and then ended up getting a bonus when she went on active duty after graduation. And uh, we talked about that. And the first thing we mentioned was to focus on why the boss is being so nice to you. Why, Why are they giving you so much money? What is that? Now you begin to realize that that's uh, intended to help with retention. Those bonuses are targeted at people who have valuable skills, who have a lot of human capital, who could earn a, a very good salary outside of the military in a civilian career. And so if you're enjoying what you do, if you're feeling that challenge and fulfillment on your career, then then take the bonus. But the other side of that is if you track your expenses and cut out the waste and have a high savings rate, you're going to reach financial independence in the military, even without that bonus money. And so if you've been doing that, if you've been pushing financial independence, then by the time those bonuses start getting dangled in front of you, you're not going to feel like you're a hostage. You're not going to have a, a big car payment. You're not going to have $40,000 of student loans. You're not going to feel coerced into staying in the military just to get that bonus money. And uh, I was I was suckered into that several times myself. Uh, once that, that five-figure amount gets dangled in front of you at the end of the year and they offer you that to stick around for another year or two, it sure is tempting. But it's also being given to you because you got skills. You can go out there and earn quite a living elsewhere doing anything else. Let's stick with some of the different problems that uh, that military members face. Like what about moving? I think that can be a constant stressor for a lot of military families. Uh, like, What are your thoughts specifically on military members buying homes when they're stationed somewhere? Well, you know, you know the saying, join the Navy, see the world. And yeah. that's how we ended up here in Hawaii. We probably would not have had the idea of coming out here on our own if we'd been working for a civilian corporation. 
But on the other hand, it's quite common during a, a six or an eight year military service obligation to make three or four moves. And, and beyond that, there's the training pipeline. When you first get into your new community and you're learning your new job, you might make five or six tiny moves within a two year period for you know four to six months. So you get used to picking up and moving your possessions at an alarming rate. Uh, for many families, the typical time between moves is as little as two years. So that is a big issue with the family and schools and a disruptive lifestyle right off the bat. It also, uh, if you're in a, uh, if you're married, uh, it makes it difficult for your spouse, the spouse who might not be on active duty, to uh, have the same career you have. Sure, uh, that's always been a challenge for military spouses, going all the way back to the Revolutionary War, of course. But these days, uh, it's a little less difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm just going to say it's not as hard. And and what has happened is the rise of the World Wide Web and opportunities for telework, remote work, flexible hours has come a long way. And so there are a lot of opportunities now for military spouses to be able to do some kind of employment, maybe not full-time, maybe not stable in the same location, but still remote work gives you many more opportunities these days than it used to. Yeah, that's a good point. Because that was a question we had, and you just answered it really well right there, that it is it has become somewhat easier, although not easy, for a, spouse to, a working spouse to have a, a career. Doug, I want to ask you specifically, so as civilians, right, Matt and I, it can be difficult enough for us to manage our finances sitting in front of a computer almost every day, right? But yeah. let's say you're in the military. Let's say you're on a submarine for 97 days in a row. What's it like handling your finances on the day-to-day, making sure that your bank account is, has enough money in it to pay the credit card off on time? What sort of things do, do military members need to think about you know, before they deploy or, or while they're kind of, uh, while they're serving? When you're single, you're going to essentially put everything in your life in autopilot, including all your bills and all your savings and all your investments. And that's probably one good thing about a military career is it turns you into a passive index investor just because you might not have the bandwidth or the time to get in there and Mm -hmm. mess around. The other advantage uh, of being in the military is that you do have to plan out in advance as far as you can. Now, with a spouse at home, there might be still problems with pay or allowances or whatever's going on with the family finances. Uh, again, when that deployment comes up or when that move comes up, you do have to have a, an emergency fund, not not so much an emergency fund like you would worry about for civilian unemployment. In the military, your emergency fund is for when you suddenly get orders to a new duty station and you're going to need a couple extra thousand dollars to cover the cost of the move up front before you get reimbursed for it at the next duty station. Uh, or you might have a, a crisis with somebody in your family back home, somebody, a relative, for example, or your parents, and you might need plane tickets to get home. That's that's an example of a military emergency fund. It is challenging. And fortunately, as you get into the military and you've been in more than a few months, you'll start to connect with the command and the other families. And of course, there's a whole lot of peer tutoring and mentoring going on on things you should do. Uh, the military also works pretty hard to make sure that there's financial responsibility for the service members and ways to learn more financial literacy for the families. You know, that's stuff that's given out free on the military bases. Yeah, it sounds like automation is key and helpful for for people that are uh, that are for people that are serving in the military. It's absolutely essential to do that. And the nice thing about automation and autopilot is that when you do that, now you don't have to go back and look at it and confuse yourself. You know, there's no decision fatigue. There's no temptation to go picking uh, stocks on your own. Uh, You might read about cryptocurrency and feel like you're missing out. But uh, after a few Mm -hmm. months, you'll start reading about the other side of cryptocurrency and realize maybe you didn't miss anything. (laughs) <laughs> Good point. Very true. Well, so I mean, Joel is kind of asking about like if you're deployed overseas, but specific to let's say you're deployed in like a combat zone. There are obviously that's it's, it's tricky to, to kind of maintain any sort of life outside of what's directly in front of you. But there are some benefits that, that come along with being in a combat zone. So can you kind of cover some of the different benefits that are associated with being deployed specifically in a combat zone? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that uh, you're in a combat zone. It's not the same environment as when you're at home on your base. And I would not deploy to a combat zone for any of these benefits. You're deploying to a combat zone because that's your job, not because you're there to enjoy all the benefits of being deployed to a combat zone. However, when you're out there uh, in a combat zone, yeah, your food is free. Uh, what Whatever food that might be, maybe you're in the dining facility or maybe you're eating one of those legendary meals ready to eat MREs <laughs> out there in the field while you're sleeping in the mud. 
your lodging is free. Now, again, that lodging might be uh, an actual room in a building or it might be uh, a container, literally a, a shipping container that's been turned into essentially living quarters. Uh, or you're sleeping in the mud wrapped up in a poncho. Uh, if you're in a submarine, you're living in uh, a space that has less cubic volume per person than the United States federal prisons, but you're getting paid for it. So there are advantages to uh, being at home that are much better than being deployed to a combat zone. But if you're going to be in a combat zone, you've got all that free stuff coming your way. And you've also, uh, while you're working on your, your job and working about your mission and taking all the planning and all the contingencies that go into a combat zone, you don't have many opportunities to spend your money. Uh, you could maybe buy some candy or, or go spend some money uh, at, the, at the entertainment facilities. Maybe you're a gamer. Maybe you're going to buy some, some creature comforts. But it's, it's tough to go out there and pick a new pickup truck. And if your family at home is also conserving money and, and making sure they don't overspend while you're deployed, well, maybe you're not spending a lot of money and you're starting to develop that high savings rate. So that, that can help you a lot during the deployment. There are specific benefits, uh, to deploy, financial benefits to the deployment that allow you to have a, a high interest savings account. Uh, the military has a uh, program, it's called the Savings Deposit Program, uh, where you can build up a uh, CD essentially of about $10,000 and get paid 10% interest uh, while you have that money on deposit. You also get to make after tax and also tax deferred contributions to your 401k, your thrift savings plan, that are beyond the uh, normal, the annual elective deferral limit. Instead of being able to contribute $19,500 a year to a 401k, you get to go as high as $57,500. Wow. Yeah. And again, you've probably got the money sitting around because you're not spending it. So if you see this deployment coming and you plan ahead, uh, I get this question frequently, then you can put together a spreadsheet, start boosting your contributions, and you can start reaching those new higher contribution limits. And, and I'll point out that not everywhere in the world that's called a combat zone by the Department of Defense is necessarily involving actual direct combat. Uh, there are places where you're supporting combat or where you're living nearby and you're stationed there for a couple of years and maybe you're flying into a combat zone from that area or maybe you're deploying into it frequently. And so you might be stationed somewhere for a two-year tour and still get all those benefits and still be able to save all that extra money. Let's say you you own a home and let's also say you've got some credit cards, Doug, and, and you are deployed to a combat zone. Aren't there special benefits, too, for soldiers? And don't they need to call call the, those companies ahead of time and let them know what's going on? Because there, there are certain benefits as well for them with uh, with those products. Yep, that's a great lead in. You're, you're talking about diving into the weeds with some benefits that uh, don't usually get talked about outside of the military. But uh, those are called the uh, Service Members Civil Relief Act or the SCRA. And what that means is that while you're away from your home, you have a lower interest rate on your debts. And also some of the credit card companies are going way above and beyond the uh, SCRA to make sure that they take care of people, their clients who are in a combat zone. So the, the law, the federal law, says that if you have a debt before you entered on active duty, then once you start your active duty period, that, that deployment, then you can contact that lender and invoke your SCRA benefits and have them reduce the interest rate on that loan to 6%. Now, if you have a 4% mortgage, that doesn't help much. Right. Uh, if you have student loans at 2%, well, you probably don't worry about that anyway. <laughs> but if you're carrying credit card debt, then you can get that credit card debt reduced to 6%. In addition, some of the credit card companies really want to do a better job of taking care of the military. And so many of the credit card companies are going way above and beyond the SCRA, but they're talk, talking about it as though it's SCRA benefits. And it's really part of a different type of legislation called the Military Lending Act or the MLA. That's what they're really doing. But it's frequent for a credit card company to not just reduce the interest rate, but to refund the interest you've paid before. It's common for a credit card company to not just reduce the interest rate, but to stop charging interest during the deployment. Uh, in many cases, when you go out and get a credit card as a service member, active duty service member, it's common for the credit card company to waive the annual fees on it, and they might even do it for the spouses as well. Hmm. And the reason I'm speaking in general terms about this is because not every card company has to do this. The ones that do it are really well known among military families, and they're popular. 
But not every credit card company is required to do that. They just do that to, I think, get more clients and to make sure that they get a reputation for being military-friendly. Because once you get your annual fee waived or once you save thousands of dollars on your interest rates and your payments, uh, you're probably going to be a customer of that company for a very long time. Yeah, that feels yeah. good. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. No, that's that's really, really good for anybody who's listening who is currently in the military or is thinking about joining the military. Is that yeah. something, too, Doug, that that people need to know to ask for and that if they don't ask, they don't get? Oh, absolutely. It's something that if you never think to ask, nobody necessarily will volunteer it. So when you're getting ready to join the military, uh, the thing to know is to look up the acronym SCRA or the acronym MLA and, and get your, your benefits for that. Or go to a, a forum or a website where there's plenty of military service members and families around and uh, ask there. We have many Facebook groups for that. Hmm. That's excellent. Well, Well, Doug, it sounds like obviously there's plenty of challenges when it comes to being deployed, but I'm glad to see, at least financially speaking, that the government and other financial institutions like this are attempting to to take care of uh, soldiers. We're going to dive more into some of the other benefits, some of the other financial benefits that members of the military can experience. So we're going to get to those right after the break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. 
and you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, we're back. We're talking with Doug Nordman, and he's an expert when it comes to helping service members achieve financial independence. It's like he's been there or something. It's, it's like he's done it himself, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. And Doug, you have specifically said on your site that compared to civilians, and you, you've kind of said it earlier in, the, this, in this interview, military members have a better shot at achieving financial independence than regular civilians. Why do you think that? And what makes it so advantageous to, to serve in the military if you want to achieve financial independence early? Well, again, don't join the military to get rich. But once you're there, uh, you've learned a lot of skills in the military that will serve you well in whatever you do in the rest of your life. You've learned how to make a plan. You've learned motivation. You've learned persistence. You've learned how to overcome obstacles and improvise and adapt and overcome and all those good mission words. And that serves for your financial independence as well because you're accustomed to cutting out the waste in your life. You're accustomed to saving and investing. And you keep that lifestyle up, the persistence part, compounding takes over. And the higher your savings rate, the faster you'll reach financial independence. I'm not suggesting that anybody would cut their lifestyle back to that of a monk. You're not going to live that stoic life of minimalism and not spend any money. What I'm saying is that by cutting out the waste by living a life that's important to you with your standards and your values, you know, the kind of life you're willing to keep working to pay for, you'll reach financial independence much faster from your military skills. And that goes to military families as well, because although the military service member is the one who maybe suffers the most deprivation and lack of creature comforts, there's a plenty of stress and plenty of adversity on the military family as well. And that will turn your people in the military family into resilient family members who can meet you on that goal for financial independence and accompany you on a journey. Yeah, that's well, Doug, I can kind of speak to that from experience. My father was actually in the army and uh, yeah, being deployed for multiple years, there's something that you learn as a, as a family and kind of, you know, pitching in even, even as a kid kind of pitching into that family mission and what Mm -hmm. it is that you're, you're setting out to accomplish. So I hear you there. I want to talk about the GI bill though. Uh, It's been around since, is it 1944? But you know, for our listeners out there, can you explain specifically what it is and, and why this is such a major benefit, such a great program for members of the military and as well as some of the eligible veterans out there? Now, the GI Bill came out in the 40s as everybody from World War II was coming back home. And the whole idea was, oh my gosh, all these service members are going to come back and we want to give them skills and we want to help them find jobs so we can rebuild the American economy and, and start selling stuff to rebuild the rest of the world that was destroyed by the, the war. So that's continued throughout the years. There's been various implementations of the GI Bill over the last 75 years. The latest one, the one that was passed into law after 9-11, is probably the best GI Bill benefits ever. Uh, not only are you given an affordable rate at almost just anybody, just about any university or, or college or certification program that you might be interested in, but you're also able, in most cases, to be eligible for a housing allowance, which helps make it much more affordable to wow. attend those classes. Yeah, the housing allowance is a is a really good deal. In fact, I think there's there's probably a few veterans who are more attracted to the housing allowance than to the actual <laughs> degree or the job skill. Uh, because you've earned the right to uh, use your GI Bill benefits and to go to school and learn something new, and, and maybe it'll help you out in your in your next goal in life. Yeah. Even if you're uh, enlisted and you didn't get your college degree finished, I mean, that's who the GI Bill is aimed at. Uh, even if you already have a degree, well, this is your chance to go out for an advanced degree or a career change or an MBA or whatever goal you have in mind. And one of the advantages of the post-9-11 GI Bill is that it is now transferable you can take the benefit you've earned and you can assign it to your spouse or to your kids and wow. they can go out. Yeah, they can get their own degrees. Now, this is a, a military Department of Defense benefit it actually comes from the Veterans Administration, but it's a federal benefit. And there's also many state benefits as well. Uh, one of the examples is if you 
separate from the military and you're a California resident, uh, there's a program called CalVets, which will enable you to send your children to a California State University on a scholarship. And that is worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your family. So there's not just the GI Bill educational benefits, but there's also the state benefits. And and using those benefits intelligently allows you to transfer among your family members to make sure you can give them either a portion of your GI Bill or all your GI Bill. You can be flexible in balancing that out. You've got a certain fixed amount of benefits, and then you get to make the decisions on how they're apportioned among your family members. Well, I'm so thankful that exists because that is oh, yeah. a, a necessary benefit, right? That's the way we should take care of our military service members. And I love, too, that you brought up the state benefits because that's something that often doesn't get discussed and it's something that we don't point people towards. So, yeah, everybody listening who is in the military who doesn't know that there are also state benefits, they should be looking for those to see what they can take advantage of as well. And, mm-hmm. and Doug, let's talk about the, the retirement plan that's offered to military members as well. Military members have access to one of the greatest retirement systems, I think, on the face of the earth, the TSP, the Thrift Savings Plan. So it, it, it just it's such a wonderful retirement savings system. Can you recommend how military members should think about the TSP and how they should be investing for the future inside of it? Absolutely. And that's the military equivalent of your 401k. Uh, the Thrift Savings Plan is a federal program for federal civil servants as well as service members, military service members who are part of the federal system. And it's just like any other 401k. Uh, it is one of the world's largest collections of passive index funds. And it used to have some of the world's lowest fees. There's still very competitive fees around 0.03% and 0.04%. Now, Better than what you were paying back in the 80s, right, Doug? <laughs> yeah, uh, you nailed it. And uh, that's only been around since 2002. Uh, I had I had a whole five months of the thrift savings plan before I retired from active duty. So as somebody who missed out on the TSP and still managed to make financial independence, uh, I would say that it's a rocket sled to achieving your own financial independence today. And and there are cheaper index fund fees uh, with Fidelity or Vanguard, of course. You can, you can cut that number down even to zero. But the uh, Thrift Savings Plan gives you a way to do that uh, in a way that saves shelters your money in the Thrift Savings Plan from taxes or gives you a chance to invest in uh, an after-tax retirement account, the the Roth Thrift Savings Plan, which is simply free from taxes once you do that. So there's the same flexibility in the Thrift Savings Plan. It's a bare-bones plan that that cuts out all the confusion and gives you a limited number of choices, and they're, they're almost all good choices with good uses. So what I tell people is when you've cut out the waste and your spending and your savings rate goes up, start investing in the thrift savings plan right off the bat. Now, today's military, there's a different type of pension system. And when you're in the blended retirement system, that's the new system. If you put at least 5% of your base pay every month into the thrift savings plan, you get the agency contribution of the Department of Defense and you get the match from the Department of Defense. So your 5% of base pay going to the thrift savings plan is matched right away by the government after a minimum service time. And that 5%, again, that's free money. And that added to your thrift savings plan will also put you well on the road to financial independence. Uh, I'll say the reason we do this is because nobody really looks at this statistic until after you're in the military. But of all the people that join the military, only one out of six makes it to that 20-year pension. 85% 85% of the people who join the military serve less than that 20 years. Almost everybody that joins the military in uniform will serve one or two obligations and then get out somewhere after four to 10 years. So because 85% of the people that join the military never get a pension, the matching of the blended retirement system has really made it a lot better for those people that weren't going to stick around for 20 years anyway. Now, If you stay for 20 years and continue to invest in the thrift savings plan and make sure you get that match, you'll end up with at least as much money as you would have under an older pension system before the blended retirement system. But there's a potential because you're putting that money into the thrift savings plan that that money will compound faster than the pension you might have gotten under the old system. So I see it as a big win for the 85% of the people who would never get a pension. And even for the 15% of the people that do stick it around for that pension because they're challenged and fulfilled, if they make that pension, then they're probably going to have more money with the blended retirement system than they would have had under the old pension system. It, it seems like there's just that gap right there in the middle, like you said, where folks are kind of dropping out. And before that blended plan came along, I'm sure a lot of them were either sticking it out when they didn't want to, 
in, in which case it wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be fulfilling work. Paying um, off those student debts and those car loans. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Doug, are the benefits the same for, for folks who don't sign up for full-time service and instead opt to serve in the reserves? Like how does, you know, how does that blended retirement plan, how does the, the TSP, how does all that work uh, when you're, when you're in the reserves? Well, that's, that's been a hot topic of conversation around our house because our daughter just a few months ago finished her five-year active duty obligation after her college scholarship. And about 10 minutes after she finished that five years, she left active duty for the Navy Reserve. Uh, one, of, one of the phrases you read a lot about in the reserves is the slogan, uh, one weekend a month and two weeks a year. And what that means is that you do a drill weekend every month to brush up on your skills and stay current. And, and you also do that two weeks of active duty every year to go to some active duty command and work alongside your active duty counterparts to make sure you understand what they need and make sure that you're doing the right stuff to support that command that's using your time. Uh, but the reality is also uh, across all the services, across all the reserves and the National Guard units as well, every three to five years, you may be facing a mobilization for a deployment. And it varies a lot by your skill set and by the type of the service you're in, whether you're National Guard or a reservist or, or whether you're in the Air Force or, or the Army. But I would say every three to five years, you're going to get a, an opportunity uh, to deploy. And it's the kind of opportunity that you're either going to be voluntold to do or the kind of opportunity that if you want to continue to promote and be allowed to stay for 20, that you should do. And so that is a little bit of a downside. I tell people that the reserves is just about everything in the military that you enjoyed, all the good stuff, uh, with less of the sucky stuff that you had to put up with when you're on active duty. And if you're in active duty and you're thinking about getting out because it's not challenging and fulfilling anymore, then I, I'd suggest considering not only joining the reserves or the National Guard, but consider all the services. If you're unhappy in active duty Navy and close to where you want to live, there's an Air Force Reserve unit or a National Guard unit, well, maybe it makes sense to think about changing your uniform while you change the amount of my time you spend in the military. And so that gives you a chance to share the camaraderie with a group of people that also have your, your code, your values. Uh, it gives you a brand new audience to tell all your sea stories to. And it also <laughs> gives you a chance to keep some of that military stuff going and have a side income. You never really know uh, when you start your civilian career and you try to balance that work-life balance with a reserve or a National Guard unit. You never really know which one's going to pay off for you. There's a lot of skill transfer back and forth between your civilian career and reserves. And if you get an opportunity to deploy with the military, well, the reserves means that you should be able to deploy and that civilian employer should hold your job for you. Or if you are doing very well in your civilian career, well, maybe there's an opportunity to put your reserve career on hold a little bit. And those two play off each other and give, I think, a, a reliable third source of income. It's sort of a side hustle that gives you uh, life skills as, as well as some money and helps you maintain that path to financial independence. Yeah, and for our listeners who are military members, Doug, when they reach that point or when, they, uh, when, the, when they're collecting their pension and once they've done such a good job saving and reaching financial independence, they can come surf with you all day, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and if there's any question about what you're going to do all day, well, come on out here and sample the lifestyle and we'll help you sort through those options. Perfect. Well, Doug, you've given us so much good information. Uh, we really, really appreciate you joining us on the show. And uh, for folks that want to find out more about you and want to read uh, some of the stuff that you've written, like, can you tell us all where to find that? Yeah, it's all on the Military Guide website, uh, or you can just search for the phrase, the Military Guide. We've been doing this for nine years, so we're pretty high up on the search engine results. I've got a book for military families on Amazon. That's the ebook, uh, but it's also in many libraries and it's on many military bases. And there's many cheap or free ways to get all of that book. So don't spend money on it until after you've looked at the other <laughs> options and read it from the library or from somebody else. That's right. Perfect. Well, Doug, man, this has been fantastic. What a wealth of information you've been able to share with folks. I think folks maybe who might be considering joining the service, but also as well for folks who, who are in the middle of it and aren't even aware of some of these, some of these benefits uh, that are available to them. But uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. I've enjoyed this and uh, I'm going to enjoy listening to the other episodes. Thanks, Doug. We appreciate it. 
All right, Matt. I love these interview episodes. Another great conversation this time with with Doug. And I feel like we covered a lot of useful information to help military members and their families out. A lot of these really nitty gritty things that are just super helpful to know, right? If you're in the service. So I want to know from you, what was your big takeaway from our conversation with Doug? Yeah, man. Well, what struck me, what I found interesting was that we kind of came into this episode wanting to learn about some of the the financial benefits of joining the military, right? Like we, we you know we specifically wanted to know about the pension, about the TSP, some of these specific vehicles and financial advantages that members of the military that they're presented with. And more than once, one of the things that struck me was that so much of the benefit that these soldiers and these sailors are, you know, receiving and learning have to do with their training within the service that isn't financially related, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, was, point. he mentioned how being in the service, uh, there's a degree of character, there's planning, there's persistence, resiliency, like all these, like he said, all these team words that you learn about and it gets drilled into you. And because of that, that typically makes you a very marketable when it comes to possibly seeking a career outside of the military. But it also makes personal finance potentially, right? Like not guaranteed, but potentially something that isn't nearly as daunting as if you were just a civilian kind of in a kind of standard work environment. Certainly there's going to be challenges, but you don't often hear about you know, planning and persistence and just the grit that's involved with being in the military. And so for me, that kind of caught me off guard a little bit because you and I were, were nerding out about the numbers, kind of the different, the different retirement plans and just some of the different financial advantages. And we talked about those things. But what I left the conversation with was just how much you know more uh, a member of the military can better themselves, how many different life skills that they can learn that are going to be applicable to many areas of their life well after the military. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, like the austere lifestyle he mentioned, right? Like just... Yeah, even at the beginning there. Getting used to that and that being kind of everyday life for a long period of time. Well, y- you don't get soft like maybe you and I do sometimes. <laughs> you know, living in, in normal everyday life, the things that we get used to are not things that you're experiencing every day. And so, yeah, I think that can be a benefit, right, in civilian life as well. Yeah, totally, man. How about you? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was kind of the, the nerdy side. I, I love... What Doug said, like that, if you're serving in the military, your ability to achieve financial independence is greater than working at a regular civilian day job. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I think he's right. I think when you look at the additional benefits, if service members are diligent to take advantage of them, things like the TSP, the way that the new pension works, the the match you get, and then if you're in for 20 years, like if you commit to a 20 year military career, and he said most service members don't, but if you do, and you take advantage of all of those extra benefits when you're deployed. If you take advantage of that sweet 10% savings account, right? That yeah, you have that a, thing sounded awesome. That's incredible, <laughs> right? Guaranteed 10%. Man, you can't, you can't beat that. Yeah, and if you can just shovel more and more of your money in these tax-advantaged accounts that you're offered through service in the military, it can be incredible how much quicker you can achieve financial independence. So yeah, I think that was really cool. And just as a civilian, man, it makes me thankful too, right? That, that our service members have these sort of advantages because they are putting their life on the line oftentimes for us. And even if they're not directly in harm's way, they're ready to go do that in a moment's notice. And so I'm really thankful that we have benefits like this set up for folks in the military. And it's just really cool to, to hear them and to get to see them listed out. So true, man. Most definitely. All right, let's switch it over to our beer for this episode. We had Bodhisattva, which is a, an IPA by Georgetown Brewing Company. Thanks again to Richard. He sent this one in for us to enjoy. Joel, what were your thoughts on this IPA? Well, first off, weird name. Bodhisattva? <laughs> well, I, it sounds like a hobbit or something yeah. from Lord of the Rings. I don't know. I bet actually if we looked it up, it might mean something, but that is not something that we did. True. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't. I thought when I, I held my nose up to it and got a good got a good sniff in there because craft beer nerds, that's what you do. Yeah, give it a sniff. <laughs> and, but uh, I thought it had just like this really heavy citrus nose, and I really like that in an IPA. I like kind of getting that citrus through my nostrils. gets me excited to take that first sip. And then the first sip didn't disappoint, man. This was a really, really good IPA. I really enjoyed it. We don't really have uh, many beers from the Pacific Northwest like that from the Seattle area. This might be our first from Washington State. And it was really, really good, man. I'm, I'm glad we got to try this one from Georgetown Brewing Company. You like to give it that sniff and get that citrus burn in your nostrils. Gets <laughs> <laughs> me ready for what's to come. Well, I'm with you, dude. It had a lot of grapefruity kind of citrus notes in my mind. And it was really bright. So it almost kind of had like this lemon peel, like a lemon pith to it. Just this real brightness, this real shininess to the beer. 
And I think I actually read that this may have won gold at the uh, Great American Beer Fest. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, not too long ago. So this is just, uh, just a classic example of a West Coast IPA. Piney, resiny, citrus, kind of grapefruity. It was really enjoyable, and I'm glad you and I got to share this one together, bud. Thanks to listener Richard for sending this one our way. And Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. For folks that want more information about Doug, well, you can go to the Military Guides website and for links to his book and more information about what well, we're up to on the show, you can go to our website, howtomoney.com. Yeah, and real quick, if you haven't reviewed or subscribed to our show, we would love if you were to do that. So just subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. So Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, man. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bedatum. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.